It really, really is great to be here. I had a chance to, to meet your pastor and his wife several years ago through different events at Liberty University and at New Spring. And I can honestly say there's not a pastor I pray for more than Pastor Christian. We had a great time of fellowship yesterday. And I know that, you're, that you are so thankful to have leadership in this church like that. Somebody who's real, authentic, a family that loves ministry and loves people. And, uh, and I just want to tell you guys, thank you for being the most generous church to my family that I preach at. I'm not kidding you. You guys are wonderful. And I love you and I got your back. I really do. All right, well, I've only got two and a half hours to preach this message, so I probably better begin. Can I just say something about the people that come to the early service? You love Jesus way more than the people who come to the late service. Y'all know that, right? Especially on a cold day when it's snowing. Um, I want to go ahead and dive in. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We'll be in Matthew chapter 2. We are in a a series about Christmas. It is Christmas time. Uh, Some of y'all have gotten all of your shopping done. You went out on Black Friday. God bless you. I hope you wore a bulletproof vest. Um, I don't believe in shopping on Black Friday. Uh, I wait until the the last minute and try to order as much stuff online as I can. But Christmas is a time where we give gifts. That's one of the coolest things about Christmas is that we get to give gifts. And, of course, you know as well as I do that that tradition is found in the Gospel of Matthew because we're going to read right now why we now, 2,000 years later, after the birth of Jesus, continue to practice this tradition of giving gifts on Christmas. But I want to do more than just give you a history lesson. I want to talk to you about what it really means to give a gift, what it really means to receive a gift. And then I want to talk to you about the greatest gift that anybody could ever receive. This time of year is always really special for me. I've always loved Christmas. Growing up, uh, my parents made a big deal about the holidays. And I have a really, I have kind of a neat story my, uh, my mom and dad adopted me when I was just a couple of days old. I never met my birth mother. I don't know really anything about my biological father. Uh, my mom was in the eighth grade. She was 14 when she became pregnant with me. And uh, this is kind of an aside, but it may help uh, leading into the context of, of this message. The story that was told to my parents by the caseworker that helped out with the adoption was that when my mother got pregnant with me, she told her mother, my biological, my biological grandmother, that she was pregnant. And the response of my biological grandmother to my mom was, well, you cannot have that baby because this is a small southern town and we are good southern Baptists. And we don't want the embarrassment of a pregnant teenage daughter walking around unmarried. So you're going to have to end that baby's life. Uh, praise God, my, my biological mother had a had a little rebel in her, uh, maybe just a touch of Duck Dynasty redneck even. Uh, she defied her mom. Uh, she was kicked out of the house, lived on the streets for a while, and carried me to term. And when she was 15, gave me up for adoption and gave me a chance to live. And, and so for me, when I read this passage of Scripture that talks about these wise men bringing gifts to Jesus, my whole entire life, from the moment I can remember my first memories, my whole entire life to me has seemed like a gift that somebody gave me. My whole entire existence as a human being has always felt like something I didn't deserve. It's, I've always kind of been surrounded by this, this idea, this reality, this intangible feeling and sense that I could have 
And I should have, by all intents and purposes, never even been born. But somehow, God in His grace gave me this gift. And everything that's ever happened to me, I have felt like, has been a gift. So I want to show you th- this, this story from the Scripture because I think we, we, have, we can commercialize the giving and receiving of gifts. But the real story of Christmas, real Christmas, is about this real gift that God gave us when he sent us his very own son in the form of a baby. I want to read this to you from Matthew chapter 2. i tell you what, we'll start off in verse 1, and I'll read this passage to you. You can follow along either on the screens or in your copy of the Scripture. This is a familiar story that, that almost all of us have had some exposure to, but I want to point a few things out to you to help you understand the significance and the size and the scope and the scandal of the gift that God gave the human race on the first Christmas. Here we go. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, let's stop there for one minute. The word Bethlehem, we skip over that in the Christmas story. But the word Bethlehem is significant to the whole story of Christmas. Not only because Bethlehem was the birthplace of King David, not only because Jesus was in a direct lineage to King David. He was a direct descendant of David who was anointed as king over Israel, one of the godliest kings that Israel ever had. But this city, Bethlehem, is named in Hebrew the house of bread. Beth meaning house of, lechem meaning bread. This is Beth Lechem, the house of bread. How ironic that Jesus is born in a city called the house of bread And later on, Jesus will identify himself as the bread of life, and whoever eats of him will never be hungry. How ironic that Jesus is born in a city named the house of bread, Bethlehem, and he will take his hands, and he will break bread, and he will feed it and multiply it and satisfy the hunger of a massive group of 20,000 people. How ironic that I'm getting Pentecostal, I'm getting wound up. How ironic that after his resurrection, he is walking along a road with two men to a city called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. They don't even recognize Jesus, but when When they arrive at their home, these men invite Jesus to come in, not knowing he is the risen Son of God. And they cook a meal for him, and they sit down at the table, and Jesus takes bread and breaks the bread. And as he breaks the bread, they see the nail scars in his hands, and their eyes are opened, and they realize they're sitting with the bread of life, and they say, how our hearts burned within us when we walked along the road and didn't even know that this was a son of God. This is the cool thing about the Christmas story. It's not just a gift, it's a surprise gift. It was a surprise when Jesus is born in Matthew chapter 2. It was a surprise when he took one little kid's lunchable and kept breaking it and kept multiplying that bread to 20,000 people. It was a surprise to those two guys from Emmaus when he broke the bread in their home and and they saw he was Jesus. And for us today... It's still a scandal and it's still a surprise to think that God cared enough about us down here on this planet that he wouldn't just watch us from outer space, 
that he decided to roll his sleeves up and get his hands dirty. Come on, sister, you can clap and talk to me all you want to. That he was willing to not stand back and watch us hurt ourselves and ruin our lives, but that he was willing to say, I love them so much, I'm coming down there. And I'm not coming to hurt them, I'm coming to help them. See, a good gift always helps you. It never hurts you. So for me, Christmas time is always special because I always feel like when I see the gifts that are exchanged, it reminds me of the gift I was given. So Jesus has been born in the town of Bethlehem. I will never, ever finish this if I don't hurry up. In Jesus' name. Y'all are, are used to good preaching, I can tell. So uh, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, King Herod was a half-breed Jew. That's what he was called in history books. He was part Jewish and part Gentile. He was, uh, he was a mixture of cultures, and he was also one of the greatest kings that ever lived in that time because of what he could build. Uh, if you ever go to Israel, I know that Pastor Christian and Danielle just led a team. If you ever go there, you will still see the results of what Herod built. But Herod was hated by most of the Jews. Now Herod, we'll see later on in the scripture, is a wicked man who wants to stop this gift from being given to the people. He even tries to have Jesus killed. But it signifies this as a time stamp on when Jesus was born, and it also tells us that magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now the word magi simply means educated or wise. These men, some people think there were three. One ancient tradition says there was 12. We don't know how many there were. But they came from the east. We know from historical and cultural context, these men came from an ancient world called Mesopotamia. We know it today as Iraq. These were Iraqi pilgrims. And they came to worship the baby Jesus. This is one of the most fascinating parts of church history, and I won't bore you with the details, but these men were essentially an official delegation. They were a group of diplomats. They were educated, they were wise, and they were rich. And they came bringing gifts to Jesus, the ultimate gift that God gave the human race. That's the whole theme of Matthew chapter 2. It's this idea that, that Jesus is a gift, and that when he came, certain people recognized the gift that he was, and others did not recognize the gift that he was. It says in verse 2, they asked when they came to Jerusalem, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called all together, the, chief, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. He wants them to tell him from history, from the prophets, where did the prophets say that this Messiah would be born? And they replied in verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. And then they quote, from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. These men studied astronomy 
and astrology. What they had learned to do was something similar to what today we would call a mixture between the two, the science of astronomy and some of the superstitions of astrology. But they had somehow, by the power of the Holy Spirit, seen this star and had discerned somehow by God's direction and God's sovereignty where the Son of God would be born. And it says in verse 8, He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed because they had finally found what they were looking for. These men were rich. These men were wealthy. These men were diplomats. These men were well-respected and well-known. They had influence. They had platform. They had everything anyone in an ancient uh, Eastern culture like that could ever want. So my question is simply this. If these men were as well-off as this passage seems to make it look like they are, why would they hop on the back of donkeys and why would they travel hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles on a fool's errand to go meet a little boy who was born in a no-name town, in a no-name country, on the backside of nowhere to no-name parents? Why would they go to a little place like Bethlehem, and why were they overjoyed when they finally found this baby? It goes on to say, and when they were overjoyed to find him, verse 11, coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, I want you to see that Matthew, for those of you that care about this kind of thing, which I think is pretty fascinating and pretty cool, Matthew is setting up from the very beginning of his account of Jesus' life, and he's showing that the people who were supposed to recognize the gift actually missed it. The people who were supposed to be looking for the Messiah, the religious elite, the religious wingnuts, the religious upper echelon, the pros, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, and even the king himself who were supposed to understand the prophets, who were supposed to be looking for the birth of the Messiah, who were supposed to be waiting and watching they missed the gift because the gift didn't come in a nice, pretty package. The gift didn't come with a, with a golden bow tied on top of it. The gift didn't come in the form of a prince or a prime minister or a president. They were looking for the pomp and the glory and the circumstance. They were looking for a gift that came with the sound of trumpets and horns and a parade. And the religious people missed the gift because the gift came in humility. And the irony is that Gentiles from another nation, from another country, another region, another culture, another people group, they actually come and worship the Messiah. This is setting the tone for the power of the gospel. This is setting the tone for the message that Jesus will bring and that Paul will continue that Jesus is for everybody. That Jesus isn't just for Jews. 
that Jesus isn't just for conservative evangelicals, that Jesus isn't just for Republicans or NRA members, that Jesus isn't just for beef eaters, of which I am one, that Jesus is for everybody. He's for Chiefs fans and Rams fans and even us brokenhearted Cowboys fans. He is for everybody, that Jesus transcends all cultural boundaries and all racial barriers, that Jesus, praise God, is not just an upper middle class white guy who drives an SUV with a minivan parked in the garage. That he is for everybody. I'm going to preach before this day is over. The people who were supposed to get it missed the gift because the packaging wasn't what they were looking for. But you know yourself, sometimes it's not the package. It's the content that matters. I uh, woke up Christmas morning on my, I just turned 15. And in South Carolina, where I'm from, you can get your driver's permit uh, when you're 15. You get, and it turns into a license when you turn 16. And we were poor. When I say we were poor, I'm talking like we went to Kentucky Fried Chicken to lick other people's fingers. <laughs> now, come on, people. That's poor and that's funny. I don't care who you are. We couldn't pay attention. We were so poor. So I knew that if I ever drove a car, it was going to have to be a hand-me-down or I was going to have to buy it myself. So my mom, uh, my mom had uh, this car had been parked in the yard for years. Yes, we were that family that had old cars parked in the edge of the yard. It wasn't up on blocks yet, but it wasn't far. So when I got my permit, uh, my dad said, we're going to give you your mom's 1975 yellow Ford LTD. Now, people, y'all just don't know the goodness of 1970s American-made sedans. This car was longer than this building. <laughs> this car was registered in five counties because it could not fit in one county. Got six miles to the ounce you could have WWF SmackDown in the back seat. You could have a cage match between Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan in their prime in the back seat of this car. I never, ever once wore a seat belt in that car growing up. My mom would put me in the back window, and I would sleep wrapped up in a blanket in the back window. Raise your hand if your mom or grandma ever put you in the back. And we all made it. We lived. We survived. We grew up in houses with asbestos and snacked on paint chips, didn't we? We made it. Never wore a helmet, never wore a seat belt, never had a car seat. Oh, my dear Lord, help me. Jesus, take the wheel. Okay, let me get back on, on task here. So I was driving this, this, this just, you know, horrid yellow sedan that my mom had driven, but I was thankful to have wheels. And I drove it for a while, drove it for several months, and woke up on Christmas morning. We walked downstairs. And you know, you, you look at the package, you look at the wrapping, and you think, oh, that's going to be a good gift. Or you look at the package, you look at the wrapping, and you think, yeah, that's not, that's not going to be that, that's not going to be that great. Uh, you know, oh, by the way, by the way, just so that you know the kind of people that, that, that this church is filled with, we're guests, and we don't require a lot, and we're low maintenance, and I'm a country boy, and I don't, I don't want to be treated like a rock star. I'm just a plain, normal guy. We got to our hotel room yesterday, and, and in our hotel room was a bag full of gifts, Somebody here at this church, I, I, don't, I don't know who, would have known this, but they know that, that, that we like Lady Annabellum, 
and there was a CD of Lady Annabellum's Christmas music in there. They know that my wife and I like dark chocolate. There were dark chocolate truffles in our room. Um, they, they know that my boys like Sprite. There was a six-pack of Sprite in the fridge in their room. Like, you know, when somebody thinks about what you need and they put the effort into getting you a gift that you enjoy, even the small ones mean a lot, don't they? They just mean a lot because somebody cared enough to think about you, right? So, so I come downstairs. My little brother was uh, nine, so he's in toy phase. There are toys everywhere, Star Wars, G.I. Joe, He-Man, Masters of the Universe. There are all kinds of toys everywhere. And then on my side of the Christmas tree is a shirt and a box. Two things, a shirt and a box. The shirt, I kid you not, the shirt was like something my grandma would have worn. My mom did not have the best taste in buying clothing for a 15-year-old athlete. It was a shirt. It was tapered at the bottom. It was tapered at the wrists, and it, had a, it, was, it was brown, light brown, with an embroidered picture of a white-tailed deer on the front of it. And I just knew if I wore that thing out in public that I would have to turn in my man card to all my friends on the football team. And I thought, that shirt is hideous. The devil would not wear that to a costume party. And I thought, whatever's in that little box right there better be awesome. Open up the little box. and It's just a plain box. The box isn't even wrapped. As a matter of fact, it was a, it was a recycled cardboard box from my dad's electric motor shop that ball bearings had come in from UPS. That's how cheap my family was. Didn't even buy me a box. Used a recycled cardboard box. I open up this, this cardboard box, and in it, there's, on a paper clip, hanging from the box that they had stuck a hole in, there's a key. And I hold it up, and I'm like, what's this? And they said, it's a key. I said, a key to what? They said, look out the front door. Well, actually, it was look out the window because we were in another room. And right about that time, my dad flipped the floodlights on. And sitting in the circle driveway at our house was a 1984 Ford Bronco that my mom and dad had, had purchased for me. They had been saving up. They gave me that. And I, and I freaked out. I lost it. I started screaming. I love it. It's four-wheel drive. I want to go get it stuck. I'll finally... I'll finally get a date now. <laughs> Can I stop driving the LTD? And I went out and I got in it, and there's a picture that my parents took of me that I still have right now to this day. And I remember the gift that my parents gave me. Last year was the first Christmas that I spent without my parents. They're both dead. They're both with the Lord. Uh, I preached my mom's funeral in November of 2010. She dropped dead of a heart attack. One Sunday afternoon, an hour after I talked to her on the phone, and then I buried my dad 18 months later. I watched my dad die. He was in assisted living for the last eight months of his life, and I preached my dad's funeral on Father's Day, 2012. So I look back over my life, and I see all the gifts that they gave me, starting with the very first gift that they couldn't have kids of their own, so they decided to give me the gift of a family. And they adopted me and made me their own. See, it's not the package that counts. It's the content. It's the actual gift. And the irony is that these three magi come to worship Jesus, and they're not even supposed to recognize him. 
But the people who were supposed to recognize him missed him because they got tripped up by the package. But that's not the end of the story. As a matter of fact, the best part is at the very end. It says they bowed down and worshipped him, verse 11. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. And what three gifts did they give him? Gold, incense, and myrrh. These men had traveled a long way and they had brought these treasures. They had protected these treasures. They had planned before they left Mesopotamia to bring gifts to this Messiah. They had to make a pre-decision. We know that the greatest gift the human race will ever receive is going to be born wherever this star takes us. So when we come to see him and to worship him, we don't want to come empty-handed. We want to bring him gifts and they brought him three gifts. Incense has always been and is still to this day a gift that means the worship of God. When incense was burned any time in a worship service still to this day, in many Christian traditions they will burn incense in worship. Roman Catholic friends do that. Greek Orthodox friends do that. I've even been in some evangelical churches who do that. Anytime incense was burned, it was seen as an aroma pleasing to God. That smoke that would rise would be symbolic of the presence of God that once dwelt in the temple and the tabernacle when the Israelites were walking around the promised land. They bring incense, which is a symbol of their worship and their reverence to to Jesus. Then they bring gold. What is gold? Well, gold is symbolic of royalty. Gold is symbolic of value. Gold was then and is still today one of the most precious and valuable commodities in the human race. But they also brought him myrrh. Myrrh is a very expensive spice. It can be bought or purchased in powdered form. It can be bought and purchased in liquid or perfume form. But myrrh has always in ancient traditions and ancient cultures been used as a part of the burial preparation. When they brought this myrrh as a gift to give to this little boy named Jesus, they are foreshadowing the fact that the gift of salvation is not just a baby born in a barn, but that the gift of salvation is that that baby would come and grow up and become a man, and that man would die for the sins of the people. It's a foreshadowing symbolically of the fact that Jesus came on a mission, and that mission was to die, to be buried, and to be raised again. They bowed down and they worshiped him, and they offered Jesus gifts. And then the final verse says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So when we give gifts at Christmas, when we exchange presents around the tree, when you go to mom and dad's house or grandma and grandpa's house, when you, when you have your, your secret Santa or your white elephant gift party at the office, when we give gifts, you know what we're doing? We're actually practicing the tradition that was handed down to us from a group of men somewhere between two and, and who knows how many who journeyed from another land, another culture because they knew that the greatest gift ever given to the human race deserved to be worshipped and deserved to be respected. See, the thing about a gift is it's free. A gift is free. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. When somebody gives you a gift, that gift 
is a result of their value that they place on you. There's a difference between a gift and a wage. As a matter of fact, I want to read you one final verse before we pray. It's Romans 6.23. As we think about real Christmas and as we think about what, what a real gift really means to us, Paul tells us something very important in Romans 6.23. He compares and contrasts wages and gifts. He says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's a difference in a, a wage and a gift. You work for a wage. You earn a paycheck. Every two weeks, I get a paycheck from our ministry. Some of you get a check every week, every two weeks, or every month. When you work hard, you deserve that wage. And if you work really hard, you get a bonus, and that bonus is a way that somebody above you says, you have worked, and this is what you deserve, and I am placing value on your work. But Romans 6.23 says, the only thing we really ever earn is death. In other words, our sin the things that we're ashamed of, the things I've done that I don't want y'all to know about, all of those dirty, dark little secrets that we all have, myself included, those things earn us death. But God offers something better than a wage. God offers a gift. And the gift He gives us is free of charge. It didn't cost us anything, but it cost Him everything. So let me show you what I'm talking about. In my pocket here, I've got I got some cash. I, I'm a high roller. I walk around with bills. I have $40 cash in my pocket. Let me, let me show you. This is, this is symbolic. Actually, I think I, actually, I don't know if I, no, I, I, I didn't count this right. I only have 35. Math is a tool of Satan to destroy the universe, and I did not add up my cash right, but I meant to have $40. Maybe I didn't have enough cash at 20, 30. Oh, it's 45. See, I, tell, I can't count. All right, let me put that back in here. This is 40 bucks, and I've got two fives, a 10, and a 20. When I first started working for my dad as a kid, uh, I worked in his electric motor repair shop. Hardcore, blue-collar workers. 11 guys on his crew. Most of these guys were Vietnam vets. They cussed like sailors. They smoked camel non-filters one off the other. They, these guys were rough, and my dad worked these guys, and they respected my dad, and my dad was a witness to them, and, and my dad loved these guys. He treated them fairly, but I made a wage. When I turned 12, my dad stopped paying me $3 an hour and started paying me at that point what was, I believe, minimum wage, 5 bucks an hour, and at the end of every day, he would give me $40 cash. I worked for him every single day during the summers. I'd start at 8 a.m. I'd work till 5 p.m., get an hour for lunch, and he would pay me in cash. He'd give me a 20, he'd give me a 10, and he'd give me two fives, and sometimes he'd give it to me in ones because he wanted me to be able to tithe off of that. He wanted it to be easy to break down. And, I, and for a long time, I kept the first full wage my dad gave me. I don't know where it's at now. It, somehow it got misplaced. But I, I earned this. I worked for that. I deserved it. Worked hard for it. My wife came home last Sunday from Thailand. And she walked in the house. What do you think the first thing my 11-year-old and my 8-year-old asked her? What'd you bring us? What'd you get us from Thailand? And she starts pulling stuff out of her suitcase, T-shirts and Beyblades, which is a toy that kids are into. If you got a kid, you understand that. And then she pulls out this really cool little 
purple cloth bag and she hands it to me and she says, I hope you like it. And I pull out this watch. And I looked at it and I said, man, I love it. I love this watch. It's a great watch. It's a good looking watch. It keeps time well. It's got a leather band. I hope it lasts forever. She brought this back to me. This was a gift. I earned this. I was given this. Trust me, this is a whole lot better than this. Why? Because when someone gives you what you've worked for, then you are the object of that. When someone gives you something you did not work for, then the object is their love for you, not your performance. If the birth of Jesus Christ in a little backwater town in a no-name region of a no-name country 2,000 years ago to a no-name mom and a no-name dad proves anything to us, it proves three things. God loves us, God is for us, and God is with us. He loves us, he's for us, he's with us. He didn't want to just sit back in outer space and watch us ruin ourselves with sin. He rolled his sleeves up and he came down here among us. And that is what one of the names of Jesus, Emmanuel, actually means, that God is with us. This is a gift, and I love it because it symbolizes the relationship I have with the woman who gave it to me. Salvation is a gift. Gift. 